Stay hungry, stay foolish. Today's episode offers creatives and marketing professionals a non-tech guide to artificial intelligence and machine learning, twin technologies that stand poised to revolutionize the way we sell. The future is here, and we are in the thick of it. AI and ML are already in our lives every day, whether we know it or not. This technology continues to evolve and grow, but the capabilities that make these tools world-changing for marketers are already here, whether we use them or not. Today we will touch on how we can take advantage of AI's unparalleled and rapidly expanding power. We will look at how we can use AI and ML in ways that speak to the human spirit. How to translate cold technological innovation into creative tools that forge deep human connections. Written by a team of experts at the intersection of neuroscience, technology and marketing, this book we will discuss on today's show is a must-have for anyone looking at where innovation, marketing, branding and creativity is going next. We welcome the author of AI for Marketing and Product Innovation, Powerful New Tools for Predicting Trends, Connecting with Customers, and Closing Sales, Dr. A.K. Pradeep. Welcome to the show. My pleasure. Thank you for the kind invite. It's fantastic to have you on the show, A.K. Let's jump straight into it. Before we move on to product innovation and marketing, let's start with the major challenges facing marketers. You say these challenges include an ever-fragmenting market, but importantly, it's not about whether or not to implement AI, but which AI is most effective. That's an interesting question, isn't it? Simply because everyone in the world of data science claims they are doing artificial intelligence. People who were doing a simple straight line set joining two points, I'm sure Euclid would have said he is also an artificially intelligent geometer. It's almost becomes rebranding. So you ask yourself, is AI and ML, are these technologies something really new? Or are they rebranding the same old wine in a slightly newer bottle? And to answer that and to really understand that, we have to take a step back and ask, what is AI and what is ML? Are they the same? Are they different? If so, what is the difference? Well, here's a simple way to think about it. I like to simplify things so that we all can, in a shared manner, understand them. The first thing is artificial intelligence is quite simply experiential observations, heuristics, and little rules of thumb, or what we call life hacks that we have developed over the course of a life in order to live that life a little easier and a little better. So taking all those rules and making them accessible through a computer is really what AI algorithms are trying to do. So for instance, if you see clouds in the sky and you say, oh my God, it may rain, I'd better take an umbrella with me. Now that is a simple natural observation. If I put it in an app on your iPhone, where it automatically reads the weather and it tells you, hey, today you may either want to take an umbrella or it's going to be so bright, you may want to take dark glasses with you. Or it's going to be pretty hot a little later, you may want to apply some sunscreen on yourself. Now, taking simple human observations, translating them into rules 
and giving us actionable conclusions is really what AI is trying to do. So when you go from department to department in a company, and it can be HR, finance, legal, procurement, supply chain, marketing, R&D, you will find that in every department, there has a bunch of observational, experiential rules that we as human beings have accumulated over a course of time. So if you take those rules and make them available through software, that is artificial intelligence. Taking natural intelligence and in a software-enabled way through rule engines, making them accessible to a larger audience, that is what AI is. And the value is clear. If there are few smart people, my God, if we could take the rules they apply every day and make it accessible to everyone else, we suddenly have a company of smart people. If there are few smart people and they leave the company one day, the knowledge and the rules they have walk out the door with them. Preserving that becomes another way of, of another big benefit of artificial intelligence. So that is what AI is, coding natural intelligence. Now you ask yourself, what is ML or machine learning? Machine learning is even simpler. So if you have any kind of data, our attempts to classify the data, cluster the data, build models and predict with that data, optimize with that data, well, that's what machine learning does. So if you think about it and you have a bag of M&Ms and you open the bag and you scatter them on the table, and you say, oh, I'm going to group the blue ones here, group the yellow ones here, group the red ones here. Well, you really are solving a classification problem. And then you may say, hey, you know, I'm going to group all of the triangular ones here versus the square ones there. If you have a bag of candies, you're clustering them naturally. You may put the sour gummies in one place, the gums in one place, the mints in one place. You're clustering them. Or if you were to, say, eat a yellow one and it was a little sour and you wonder to yourself, hmm, the darker yellow, will it be even more sour? Because the lighter yellow was sour. Well, in a way, you're building a model that is correlating color with taste and using that model to predict which one you should pick next. Something more sour, a darker yellow or something less sour maybe a lighter yellow. You really are building a model and predicting. And let us say somebody comes to you and says, you can't take this entire bag of candy. You can only take three of them. And you wonder to yourself, hmm, which ones should I pick? And you, in effect, know that you can only pick three, knowing the taste, your own taste, and the kind of candies you like to eat, you optimize and you pick the ones that you think will work best. So when you think about it, clustering, classification, model building and prediction and optimization are really the goals of machine learning. The tools to do that, there are 10 million mathematical algorithms that can accomplish these tasks. But all those algorithms are trying to do 
is to kind of do these tasks. And this is what machine learning is. So if you look at your customers and you say, huh, how do I group my customers? Is it by race, by gender, by age group, by salary and income level? You're really what we call in marketing a segmentation exercise. It's really a clustering and classification exercise. And if you say to yourself, hmm, which customers are most profitable for me? Is there a way I know that if a customer buys something at nine o'clock in the morning on the internet, this is the kind of customer that results in greater profits for me? In effect, you're trying to model and predict which customers are going to work for you. Or if you say, hey, I only have so many promotion dollars to spend, should I put the money all in TV advertising, given what the returns are? Should I put a little bit in a social media platform? Should I put a little bit in my in-store advertising and promotion? In effect, you are using the returns that you potentially could get from each one of those bets you would make and trying to see how should I place my bets. That's optimization. That's all it is. So once you understand that this is what AI rule engines are, and this is what machine learning is, prediction and optimization and classification and clustering, you say to yourself, that is the universe of AI and ML, and look at the number of wonderful things you can do with it. But at the core, if you throw all the mumbo jumbo of the underlying technologies and algorithms out, this is what AI is, coding common sense. And this is what machine learning is, essentially massaging and manipulating data. So there are many ways to think about it, but these are good ways to begin. I love how you put that so eloquently. It was like listening to poetry about ML and AI. It was beautiful. You can see how valuable this is for product innovation, for marketing, for sales data, for storytelling, all these beautiful creative tasks that we do. And you can see how AI can help us and ML can help us enable these things much, much easier because there's a limitation to our own cognitive capacity. Very true. Our brains are incredible in their ability to process disparate amounts of information and put them together, yet they struggle in processing vast loads of structured information. In fact, our brain is a very hungry computer. 20 to 25% of oxygen intake goes straight to the brain. And so we are biologically designed to shut down anytime anything appears remotely complicated. And the reason I've written this book and I take the time to talk about it is people are turned off so fast when you start mouthing technical mumbo jumbo because your brains are designed to tune off when anything is complicated. But the reason AI and ML enable us to process vast amounts of information as it pertains, and let's take a simple topic, product innovation. Now, in fact, my company, Machine Vantage, began, began its cycle from a simple question. A, a CEO of one of the world's largest consumer companies asked me. He said, Pradeep, I run a, almost a $90 billion company, yet I find something very strange. 
My company, when it innovates, we find we are always lagging behind a little entrepreneur in some corner of the world who seems to have figured out a consumer need just before we did. How can it be? How can it be with my massive compute machine and marketing machine and global reach that we have, we still are not tapping into unmet consumer needs for product innovation, service innovation, feature innovation, pricing innovation, before that little entrepreneur sitting in some corner. Can you, can you tell me why? So we had a very interesting hypothesis. And the hypothesis was quite simple. All big companies go talk to consumers to understand what they want. Nothing wrong with that. But how do you, how do you tell a consumer, Mr. or Ms. Consumer, would you please articulate for me your unarticulated needs? It's a dumb question. You can't, you can't answer that. So the, 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 the secret is most of our 95% of desires and decisions are in the non-conscious, 95%. Even as we began this podcast, in the first five seconds, people decided whether they were going to tune in for the rest of it or not. The battle was over a long time ago, right? 95% of decisions are in the non-conscious. Yet, all powerful market research tools, product research tools, social media research tools, are all looking in the conscious. The conscious is just 5%. When you write, when you speak, when you answer a question, or when you tweet, or when you post, your conscious mind is writing those things. That's not where your desires and your decisions lie. They lie in the non-conscious. So if we wonder to ourselves, why do 80% of product innovations fail? Why are 80% of trends usually missed? It's simply because we are looking very deeply in the wrong place. So it's powerful tools unleashed at the wrong place. So we said to ourselves, huh, what if we were to look inside the non-conscious to figure out what may be our product trends and innovations and desires lurking in the non-conscious mind? That begs the question, how can you, or more importantly, how dare you look inside the non-conscious of the human mind? Because we are biologically prohibited from looking inside our unarticulated thoughts. So what we did, as good scientists do, if you cannot look at a phenomena directly, you look at the primary influences of that phenomena and figure out what the answers are. Because the primary influences do influence the phenomena. That begs the question, what are the primary influences of the non-conscious mind? And can we use AI and ML to understand what influences the non-conscious mind? And the answer is a stunning yes. You, there are three primary influences of the non-conscious mind, and only three. The first one is quite simple. And this, 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 in all of this have become the basis of algorithms of machine vantage 
and part of the excitement of writing this book with Andrew and Stan was that both my co-authors have applied everything I'm talking about in unearthing big innovations for their own companies. So the first big influencer of the non-conscious is music. It is so potent and so powerful. It's a, such a primary influencer of the non-conscious. In fact, music is the only thing for which you would say, this song is stuck in my head. You will never say that about anything else. I'm sure these podcasts are very interesting and you're all very happy we are doing this, but I'm positive that at the end of this podcast, you wouldn't remember as much of it as I think you would. If on the other hand, I started singing it, well, you may leave in a few minutes, but at least you will remember what I sang for the first few minutes. Go for it, AK. Sing it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put some music in the background. <laughs> you know, I am tempted at times. <laughs> so, so, but it is such a potent thing. So we algorithmically analyze the hundreds of millions of lyrics of songs, for instance, to figure out when you are talking about various things, when, when, when artists sing, when Taylor Swift or Kanye West or whoever it is, sings about various things, the words they use, the concepts they connect, all of those things have become part of the ecosystem of your non-conscious. Nobody minds this. Nobody even takes a look at it. These are potent and powerful. There is another big influencer. I call them the binge-watched TV shows. No self-respecting millennial watches a TV show on a Thursday evening at 7 p.m. and waits for the next Thursday at 7 p.m. to watch it. If you did it, you will not respect yourself. We binge-watch these things. And there is something very strange in human memory that happens when you binge watch, when phenomena, concepts are connected and reinforced and pushed into the non-conscious. So very quickly you find, if you analyze the billions of lines of dialogues of binge watch TV shows and movies, the next set of product innovations, aspirations and desires are all connected in the human mind. All of them are ripe for algorithmic extraction. And the last one, which is very powerful influencer, you know, one of the most powerful influencers of the non-conscious, that marketers have intuitively recognized, or what we call metaphors. Metaphors, Professor George Lakoff would say, is on my advisory board and a wonderful friend. And I think the world's number one cognitive linguistics expert. Now, Professor George Lakoff would say, metaphors are the language of the non-conscious mind. Our mind, like our president, does not speak in full sentences. So we very quickly find that the metaphors become the brain's shorthand for saying a lot without taking the time to say all of it. What's an example? A metaphor connects. It's a conceptual bridge that connects two vastly different domains. One domain that I understand very well, 
and one I have no clue about. And what I do by connecting them conceptually, I try to understand that which I don't by taking properties and features of that which I do. What's an example? We say life is a journey. That's a powerful metaphor. Now, why is that interesting? Well, life is unknowable. It's not understandable. A journey, on the other hand, is finite and understandable. And so when you connect them, we seek to understand life by understanding the parameters of a journey. Well, how does it work? Every journey, you buy a ticket. In life, you have a qualification. Every journey has simple beginnings and great destinations. Life has humble beginnings and great aspirations. In every journey, there are many twists and turns along the road. Well, so it is in life. In any journey, there are beautiful sights along the way, but there will be a few delays and a few disappointments. Well, such it is in life. In every journey, people join us for part of the way, and then they leave, and that's just okay. In life, people will join us for part of the way, and then they may leave, and that's just okay. Anyone that has been divorced will know the meaning of those words. So very quickly you realize that if you understand all the characteristics of a journey, it enables us to unravel how perhaps life is and extrapolate very easily. So life is a journey, is a powerful metaphor. And there are other metaphors. Life is a university. Life is a party. It could be anything. When you understand for your particular category, be it coffee or ice cream or tea or soup, what is the big metaphor that is connected to, say, soup? The soup, has it got to do with caring and home and tradition and mom and rainy days and coughs and colds and feeling better and feeling comforted and cared for? Is it possible that all of those big concepts are packed into this humble little can? So understanding the metaphors connected to a category open up the doors for innovation, for product innovation. Once you realize, meaning there is a, if you think about the marketplace, the word natural is talked about everywhere. What is natural? George Palin, who I admire as a hero, is uh, a world's amazing, funny comedian. And George Carlin said, well, plastic is natural. Why? We humans are natural. We made plastic. Why shouldn't plastic be natural? So very soon you find the word natural is bandied about so big in so many places, it has lost its meaning. So every product maker is saying to themselves, oh my God, I should make products that are natural and wonder, what, what should I do? What should I add? Or what should I delete? Now, if you understand how the brain, how our non-conscious mind parses the word natural. I did this for one of my clients. And one of, the, one of the things we found was that natural 
was connected with spiritual. And, and, and it's very powerful concept. We say natural is spiritual. So many times people will, 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 will use one as a substitute for the other. They will say nature is my temple. When I feel uh, confused, I walk in the woods and I find nature comforts me. There's great spirituality in the ocean and the forest. So if natural is spiritual, how must a product maker approach it? Well, one of the important components and characteristics of being spiritual is pure, being pure. So the moment you use the word pure, it almost communicates some kind of uh, some, a, a, an uber-natural feeling to something. For instance, German beer makers always say that their beer is made to German purity standards. Scottish whiskey makers or single malt makers will rave about the purity of the waters they use to making the whiskey. But the funny thing is, the clever use of purity and purity standards automatically conjures spirituality, automatically conjures something natural. So what you quickly find is reading the non-conscious mind opens the door to product innovations, creative innovations, feature set innovations, and semantic innovations in communicating a product or conjuring a product in the first place. So algorithmically, it becomes possible to extract metaphors pertaining to a category and figuring out from them through NLP and through AI, how these connect to products, how these connect to categories, how must one extrapolate or even conjure a new product? While metaphors are very critical, the twin sister of metaphors are what we call embedded memory structures. What are embedded memory structures? For whatever reason, our brains in the non-conscious have associated a few things together. And for whatever reason, we may not quite know why. But because of what has been fed to the non-conscious, certain concepts have been connected and reinforced. Once you find out what concepts have been connected and reinforced, it automatically becomes a desire for a consumer. Give me an example of that. So for instance, long ago, uh, one of the ice cream makers, a very large ice cream maker, challenged us and said, through AI and ML, please tell me something I don't already know. And that, of course, that's a wise challenge. So we ran the algorithms to find out what were the embedded memory structures with ice cream that maybe uh, could guide the development of a new ice cream. We found something fascinating. We found that ice cream and the time breakfast were connected in the non-conscious mind. And we, we told our client, you know, it's funny, for whatever reason, ice cream and breakfast are connected. 
Well, maybe, and, and we said, that's all the algorithms can tell you. They can't tell you why. Maybe we all thought to ourselves, oh, I'm having the same boring breakfast every morning. I wish I could have ice cream. Or maybe we said to ourselves, if we could make nutritious protein bars and with fiber and omega-3s, why can't we make a nutritious ice cream that I can have for breakfast? Maybe. We don't know why. All we knew was it was connected. So my friend who, the, who was the CEO of that ice cream company said, hey, listen, uh, that's a very interesting thing. I never thought about it. So uh, thank you very much. Then three months later, he came back and he said, you know, I did something interesting. Uh, you know, every time you have breakfast cereal, you know, there's a little bit of milk that is left over at the end of the cereal. And we, uh, we just pick up the bowl and we drink and slurp up that milk because it is so tasty. So what my friend did, he said, you know what, Pradeep, I took the milk that is left over from breakfast cereal and I made an ice cream with it. And I ran it by consumers. I gave them tastes of, of this ice cream. And it scored in my consumers as much as my absolute best-selling ice cream in the country scored. This is mind-blowing. I'm going to make this a product and launch it in stores. That ice cream is found in stores today. And it has been a big success for one of my big clients. And one of the reasons they decided to invest in the company. But as an example, the connection of ice cream to breakfast was not well known. It was an embedded memory structure. The flip side of that was a, was a bar maker, energy bar maker, came to us and they said, hey, can you tell me something we don't quite know in the world of energy bars? And so when we, and we said, well, we'll do bars. We don't want to do energy bars. We'll just do bars. And they said, just fine, do bars. If you, come, if you come up with protein, don't even bother calling us because we know all about it. Tell us something we don't already know. So we found again, the bars, unlike ice cream, bars were very connected to nighttime. And we said, we said you know, it's very strange. We are finding this connection of bars to nighttime. Maybe we all wake up at around 10.30 or 11 or something, and we are trying to see um, what kind of uh, bar can I eat while I go on social media or something like that. Uh, we don't know, but we do know that bars are connected to nighttime. So we said to our client, is it possible that the whole world has gone the way of creating bars that energize you, energy bar, five hour this and six hour that. But if you look at our world, we are all sleep deprived. Almost everybody on the planet is not sleeping enough and it is killing them. Is there a bar that you could use to go to sleep? Is there something as opposed to an energy bar we call it a dream bar, a bar that you eat before you go to sleep. You brush your teeth and then you go to sleep. And the bar enables you to sleep more and dream well. Uh, would it be a dream bar? Is the world ready for that? So what is fascinating is the embedded memory structures 
enable one to create what I call product innovations, desires that are lurking deep in the 95% of the non-conscious mind of the consumer. Now, it is not just useful for generating product innovations, it becomes part of messaging innovations. So if you are an ad maker and you wonder to yourself, what ads should I create? What stories should I tell? And you say to yourself, my God, I could create ads that are based on the embedded memory structures. So we actually extract occasions, locations, times of day, uh, fashions, variety of things that pertain to any particular product and any particular category. So in doing so, we are able to form not only the basis of what can be a product innovation, we also extract what can be messaging innovations. So if you wonder, what is my next big ad supposed to talk about, instead of having the person uh, create or conjure a story, uh, which is what ad makers do today in their creative confines, you quickly find that, uh, that you, can use the, you can use the metaphors and the embedded memory structures to generate creative, automatic gen generation of core creative concepts and ideas. So we do this for clients. Uh, the, the big manufacturers, and they, they bring their advertising agency in. So it, it, it changes the way a creative brief is given to an agency, right? Today, the ad maker or the other manufacturer tells the agency, this is what I want to do. Go create something. Let me solve the problem. We think in the future the manufacturer would say to the ad maker, we want to solve this problem. Please go create something. Here are the metaphors that pertain to our category we, you, we think you should use. Here are some embedded memory structures that pertain to our product that we think you should use. So we almost construct a piano. We construct the black and the white keys of the piano and then give it to a Mozart and say, hey, you make any music with it, but here are the keys that we would suggest you use in making the music. It changes the way, not only how product innovation works, but how creative advertising works, not only for the world of TV, but in the world of real-time internet advertising. And the last bit that becomes the application of AI and ML is understanding personalities. And I don't mean this in a Cambridge Analytica intrusive way, not at all, but actually understanding the implicit personality of a brand. What do I mean by that? So for instance, today, we know that a we, we as human beings in our speech can only talk about other people. That's where we feel comfortable. So when you refer to Apple, the company, you will refer to it as a person. When you, you, you think of Apple 
the way you would think about a good friend or a date or anyone. So people form relationships with brands, meaning they form relationships with brands by thinking about brands as they would a person. That begs the question, do we know how a person views a particular brand? So we call it brand personality. Now, among the numerous ways of looking at personality, the most potent and single way of looking at personality is the big five personality test. And it has geographical validity, longitudinal validity, etc. Now, what's fascinating, if let us say there was a tweet where we talked about Albert Einstein, and there are, let's say, a million tweets about Einstein, or, or talking where Einstein is mentioned in the tweet. Just by looking at the rest of the words in those tweets, so if you had Donald Trump, or you had Joe Biden, or you had Hillary Clinton, looking at the tweets where the person is mentioned, the implicit personality of that person can be derived. Tweets uh, and, and you will always know that the way supporters of a person tweet about the person would be a little different than how detractors of the person would tweet about the person. And you could very quickly get a holistic view of personality by looking at it. Now, the same concept can be applied to brands as well. Algorithmically, you can look at social media postings and infer the implied non-conscious personality of that brand as that brand sits in the minds of the consumers without asking them a simple question. So there are some very powerful ways of extracting implicit brand personality. And once you do that, it serves to inform product innovation. It serves to inform creative messaging. It serves to inform the influencers, brand ambassadors, celebrity spokespeople you will choose. So what you very quickly find is that it is very possible to algorithmically extract all of this and be able to guide product innovation, trend identification in a feature set. How do you emphasize this? and to pair personalities with products. In the world of product, there is something called a category-busting metric. What is a category-busting metric? Well, you will very quickly find that in the world of cameras, there is something called megapixels. Have you ever seen a megapixel? Have you seen one walking around your studio? You haven't. Yet on the other hand, if a friend gave you a two megapixel camera, you'll say, oh my God, how dare you? You don't love me anymore. Now, it's funny when you go to a store and the, I say the dumb consumer walks into a store, according to a Nikon engineer, and they have made 10 million innovations in the Nikon camera, but the dumb consumer says, how many megapixels is that? The Nikon engineer wants to commit suicide, right? So in the world of cameras, it's megapixels. 
in the world of computers is gigahertz, the clock speed of your chip. So you would say, are you man enough for a 3.2 gigahertz computer? Are you still stuck at 2.8? You don't know what that 0.4 gives you, the one gives you. You don't know what it is. Now, in the world of computers, it's gigahertz. In the world of chocolate, it's a percent cacao in there. In the world of colas, it's calories. In the world of ice cream, it was calories per pint, where Halo Top really kicked the butt of everybody around. Simply put, in every category, the consumer's brain looks for a single number, a category-busting metric. If you do not give the consumer's brain that single number, it will find another. It is usually called price. So if you find yourself competing on price, it only means you have not given the consumer's brain another number to latch on to. So we have algorithms that literally run through millions of lines of product attributes and associated sales of them and extract the category-busting metric that consumers implicitly seem to look for. And it is very powerful application. So you know in your portfolio whether you have a product that matches the category-busting metric, whether you need to create innovations to satisfy that, whether you have all that is needed, but you have not communicated it adequately and appropriately, and you should do that. So there are 10 million things to do in the world of product innovation through the application of AI and ML. And without, without burdening your listeners or my clients with the mathematical mumbo-jumbo, I'm giving you a view of the landscape of how AI and ML can be used to mine the non-conscious human mind, not just the billions of tweets, the non-conscious human mind and the primary influences of them and therefore generate trends, the next generation of product innovations, feature sets, creative messaging platforms, and also the message itself, along with brand personalities and with category-busting metrics. So it's a slightly long-winded discussion of very pragmatic applications of AI and ML, but differentiated. Not the same wine in a new bottle. Not calling what customer segmentation you used to do suddenly as an AI-based customer segmentation. That's just a branding exercise or a rebranding exercise. We are looking for disruptive innovation using AI and ML. And this is utopia for marketers or product innovators. No more focus groups, no more blind faith in sci-fi, no more investing blindly in startups for individuals or for venture capitalists, but rather algorithms identify desires and decisions lurking in the non-conscious, algorithms extracting key category features of a product concept, algorithms extracting trends, and because a trend is an indicator of change, and we live in a world of constant change, that is a huge help for innovators and change makers and marketers. So where does this leave the human, Pradeep? The sommelier, to use your wine metaphor, 
for me, human skills come to the fore, critical thinking, great question asking, and storytelling, just to name a few. I really believe that machines will do the mundane, right? Machines won't do anything else. Here is a way for you to think about it. There are these wonderful lines of Yeats, right? For I, being poor, have only my dreams. I spread my dreams underneath your feet. Tread softly because you tread upon my dreams. These are the lines of Yeats. Can a machine ever write this? The answer is no. No, never. What a machine will tell you is this. Feet are important. Dreams are important. Stepping on stuff is hurtful. And please use this and create a poem. So that would be the creative <laughs> brief to Yeats. <laughs> All right? So, so no, but it is important. It is important in that the ingredients that we give to creatives may be a little more structured, but it will be that so long as human beings talk to human beings, the human being will always be there. The way we nuance something, the way we say it, the particular words we choose to describe it, they reflect a deep human understanding that still uh, will, not, will not pass on to machines. The same way there is a blood-brain barrier that any garbage we put in our body does not automatically reach the brain. There is a blood-brain barrier that separates it. Similarly, there will be a machine-brain barrier wherein there are things that the machines will do, but then there will be those beautiful things that only human brains can do because they are, they are meant to be consumed by other human brains. So I think there is a rule, there's a, there's a great place for people that will free us from the burden and the drudgery of the mundane and enable us to do the unique things that we alone are set up to do. And it is a wonderful world. I mean, if you look at the number of things that you yourselves had to do to get this podcast going, you had to get the right conference call. The phones sometimes do not work. The sound is not perfect. Look at the sheer number of mundane things that you all had to do. What if a magic wand could be waved and the only thing that you had to do was to engage in this discussion? To hear me talk, to ask a few questions, to opine on it, to collaborate and comment with me on things. If that's all you had to do, and everything else, be it production or creation or distribution or revenue generation, the machines would take care of. Now you would say, wow, uh, that is a world I wouldn't mind living in because it enables us to fully realize what our human potential is. Because I truly believe that uh, most of our human potential is wasted on the mundane. And it could be something as making a cup of coffee or washing or, or putting soap in the dishwasher or reordering the coffee or reordering the soap for the dishwasher. So there is so much of the mundane in our lives that the machines will do the mundane and leave people to do the profound. I love that. 
so many creative people I know struggle because they can't think in a left brain mode. They can't get the mechanics of creation together. So they fail. So I'd love this removal of this. And you know, it dawned on me reading your book, this approach is quite mechanical and logical. And businesses that are mature and are being disrupted usually fail because they can't get into a creative mode. So if they can work in tandem with the machines, we'll see lots more innovation, we'll see less disruption, we'll see more people in a much better place in their lives where they're not struggling and they're not worried and they're not anxious about work. And hopefully they'll, as you say, have more time to spend with their family or follow their dreams in Yeats's words or just live life to the fullest. Very, very true and very well said. AI and ML have big dreams. As you know, all big dreams begin with a small step, right? So if you ask yourself, what is the first step? Where should we see the fruits of our labor first? What is the first apple to, 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 to show up on this beautiful tree? The first one, I would say, is personalization. The first thing you will see through the application of AI and ML in the next few years is an intense level of personalization. Almost everything we consume today, even this podcast, can this podcast be morphed and modified and modify itself based on your listener? Maybe nobody wants to sit for an hour and listen to me yammer away. And knowing who your consumer is can select segments of the podcast automatically be put together to serve that particular consumer. Imagine that. So the first big application of AI and ML that has genuine consumer benefit, not the benefits for manufacturers that enable them to get a better price or to do a better ad or to create a new innovation. Well, that's, that's making money for the big corporations. What about the little average man and woman on the street? Where do they see the benefits of AI and ML? I would say the first benefit they must and should see and will see is a level of intense personalization. Everything appears to fit them a little better. It seems to use a language they prefer to hear. It seems to employ a song that is their favorite song. It enables them to find the product or mix and match a product that is a little more to their taste. And all those little surprises and delights that make them think, huh, did you make this just for me? How did you know what I want? How did you understand me? This level of intense personalization is what I expect to see in the next five years. So while the bigger aspirations for AI and ML might be present that enables the billion dollar corporations to make a little more and the top 1% to feel better about the 1%, I think I'm more interested in the 99% of humanity. And I find that this level of Intense personalization creates beauty, value, and joy for that 99%. Because a very rich person can say, can have their 
waiter or their butler or their housekeeper make things so properly arranged for them. But imagine a mother or father who has to do two jobs, pay a mortgage, run around and do things. Nobody does anything for them that seems to be personalized for them. Take that few minutes to say, oh, I made this just for you. Look, I'm even calling you by your name. Nobody gets that. Now, why should we deny most of humanity that little luxury that the ultra-wealthy have through personalization? That's where algorithms come in. A little or to no cost, the algorithm becomes your butler. The algorithm becomes your housekeeper. The algorithm customizes, personalizes it it for you and adds value to your life. So I say that AI and ML have great value for product innovation and marketing, but they will provide more than will. I would urge manufacturers or people that listen to your podcast to take the extra step to say, how do we personalize this? How do we enable personalization as a first big observable outcome for all consumers? So we are working a lot with our algorithms in the healthcare space. You go into a grocery store and buy 10 million things. Well, do you know what they do for your health? Wouldn't it be nice to have some way of gently reminding you what's good for you and things you should lean a little more towards? There is so much personalization that can be of direct benefit to people, not just for the ultra-wealthy, not just for the billion-dollar corporations. And I love that about this book. And, you you know, you remind me of Yuval Noah Harari when he talked of the gods and the useless where there will be a useless class. And it's those people you're talking about. That will be the 99%, the ones that aren't the billionaires, the ones that aren't the top earners of the world or the billion-dollar corporations. And what I love about your work is you democratize access and understanding of AI and ML and make it accessible to all of us. And I think it's a great mission that you're on. And it's one of the reasons I'm so happy to have you on the show, Pradeep. And for people who are interested in your work, people, I'm sure when they listen to this, be like, I'm all over that. Where can they find out more about you and Machine Vantage? Yeah, you know, www.machinevantage.com is the company. And I welcome product makers, manufacturers, ad agencies to log in and to give us a call or to write to me, P-R-A-D-E-E-P, Pradeep, at M-A-C-H-I-N-E, machine, V-A-N-T-A-G-E, machinevantage.com. Write to me. I always answer questions and I'm on LinkedIn and you can find me on LinkedIn. And but I think the, and the book AI for Marketing and Product Innovation is in stores. You can order it online and on Amazon, et cetera, in, in any country. Uh, but I think that the AI ML revolution requires more than a book or a website. It really requires a passion, a commitment, and a deep desire to understand the non-conscious mind. And that's why I say it is not just AI and ML. It is AI and ML and neuroscience coming together. There are so many things in neuroscience we can talk about perhaps at a different time. But the idea is more than, you know, the Machine Vantage website, more than the book that we have in the market. It 
it is a true human excitement and passion for what these amazing technologies can do for us. And I urge everyone in whatever profession you are to ask the question, how can I use AI and ML to further the number of things that we do in my profession today? And that journey is an awesome journey. And I would welcome you to begin it. Author of AI for Marketing and Product Innovation, Powerful New Tools for Predicting Trends, Connecting with Customers and Closing Sales, Dr. A.K. Pradeep, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. 